Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode, and not just another episode, episode 19. Oh my goodness, guys, how did we get here? <laughs> when I started this podcast back in January, you know, I, I made a goal that I was I was putting out new episodes every week. And I have, I'm very proud that I have committed to that, but it still blows my mind every single time I hit the record button that uh, I get to do this. I get to put my little spin on behavior change and my little spin on everything, uh, you know, everything really to do with behavior, because to me, that's where that's where change comes from, right? We got to change our actions. And that also includes changing our mindset, changing our language, and of course, changing those actions to truly connect with who we are as educators. So we can bring that person to any role, any environment, basically (laughs) anything we do in our lives, right? Isn't that what it's all about? I think, you know, one of the things I continue to hear from educators across the board is really, it's really the using and (laughs) instead of or. So I think so often as educators, we, we believe in the value of that or, you know, I can be a really great teacher or I can be a great mom and a great wife and a great person outside of school. And I'm here to to tell you, drop the or, right? Can we make that the new hashtag, drop the or? Because, not even because, just drop the or, sound good? And, and what are we gonna replace it with? We're gonna replace it with and. Guys, it is so possible to be an amazing educator, an amazing teacher, and be an amazing wife, and be an amazing spouse, and be an amazing partner, and mom, and dad, whoever is listening, embrace the power of the and. Nobody out there, there is no rule written in stone that says it's an or. And so can we can we all come together and really, can we make that hashtag happen? That would make me so excited. Hashtag drop the or. All right, so had to I had to share that because every time, not every time, but a lot of the times I reach out to educators and I talk about, you know, what's the barrier? What's holding you back? What keeps you up at night? The whole, every, again, well, not every, many, 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 all right? I know I'm a behavior analyst. I should have data for this, right? <laughs> but I don't. But so many of you reach out, and I'm so appreciative of, appreciative of that. Um, and really what you say is you're just exhausted. You work so hard, you know, in your classrooms or right now, you know, virtually in your classrooms. And then you get home and you want to be the person, you know, for whoever is at home with you. And, and I get that. I so get that because I lived that too. I would give so much energy to what I was doing, you know, during the hours of teaching. And then I'd run the errands on the way home so I could pick up more materials to make more things once I got home. And then, you know, it was, oh, and then, you know, what are we having for dinner? I don't know. I, I forgot about dinner. And oh my goodness, I haven't done laundry. And oh my goodness, the ha- what happened to the house? And, you know, of course it's a family. We work as a family here, but 
at the end of the day, I was, I was spending so much energy at the job that I didn't realize how to have an eat, you know, how to have that blend of energy through the day. So that is, you know, one of the things that I think it's just really important um, for us as educators to always be mindful of is prioritizing your energy. Where is your energy going? And knowing that at any point in time, you get to drop the or you get to drop the or and really embrace the and, and it is possible. I coach you how to, how to make it possible. That is what define you is all about. It's learning simple and easy strategies so that you can embrace the and so that you can do both. You can love your job and your life outside of the classroom as well. And one of the things, and this is what today's podcast will get at, is really, you know, behavior change. And behavior change specifically to this episode is going to talk about our students' behavior, the behavior of the kids in our class, and what steps do we take to really create sustained change. And, you know, this, this, actually came from a follower, came from a listener. And and she said, you know, I I get the behavior change takes time. I understand it's not something, you know, it's not a light switch. It's not a snap of your fingers where I can say, do this. There's no magical fix. I think we all know that. Side note, one of my favorite gifts that anyone ever gave me, it's this purple bag. And it says, this ain't my bag of tricks. (laughs) Totally a sidetrack there, but it's one of my favorite things because I do think we fall into that trap of thinking there can be quick fixes. um, And in all honesty, there really isn't. Um, And so I really appreciated this follower because she understood that. She understood there isn't a quick fix. However, that doesn't make, you know, handling the aggression or the swearing or the self-injury or whatever behavior that is happening in your classroom any easier to understand. So what I did is I really thought about what what is there, I guess, is there a hierarchy of the changes we can make? Is there some order to this? And I do believe there is. Now, before I jump into them and what I've called the foundational steps to behavior change, I do want to give a little a little caveat here that none of these, you know, kind of outweigh the other. All I really looked at here was which ones could I implement today? What changes could I make today? Meaning they're not going to take time. They're not going to take an investment or money or energy. There's something you can do today to really start that behavior change. It's not to say that you can stay at the first step forever to have behavior change. And it's not that they may always go in order. You might go back and forth between some of the latter steps. If you are looking for a visual of what I'm going to be talking about in today's episode, head on over to my website, www.defineuniversity.com. And remember, that's university with Y-O-U. And uh, head to the freebie section. You can put in your email, get the password. And there is a there's actually two handouts that go along with this episode. One is the ladder that I am explaining. The second is the quadrant that has examples for each step of the ladder that I'm going to start talking about now. So, all right, when we are talking about foundational steps to behavior change, the first step that we're going to work on is what I call external you. So you, meaning, yes, you, you as the teacher, you as the educator, you as the coach, whoever you are, you're going to work on what I call external you. So what does that mean? That means things like your facial expressions. Guys, a smile is so worth (laughs) all the time in the world. And a smile doesn't cost anything, doesn't take any time. And it's one symbol, one signal that truly can make 
all the difference in the world, all right? So facial expressions, how your face looks. I don't know about you, but it's actually something I've been working a lot on these last few weeks with everything being on Zoom, on Google Meets. I'm really more aware now of what my face looks like when other people are talking or how quickly I, I go into this kind of like stone face, right? And it doesn't take any effort at all other than awareness to put a smile on my face. And not like the creepy smile that like you just stand there like smiling like like a clown almost, right? A genuine smile. Um, but again, it's that awareness. We have to know, am I actually smiling or not in order to fix it? But so, you know, thinking about external you, that's a really great place to start. And now that we're all on virtual learning right now, practice while you're on camera. How often are you smiling? How often are you not smiling? In addition to that are just nonverbal cues, right? How those are really simple things that we can change in the moment. How am I, am I doing a fist bump? Am I doing a thumbs up? Am I doing um, just, you know, I don't know, a double high five. Like what are you doing that's nonverbal? Meaning there's no words attached to it. You know, again, smile, go into that. Eye contact goes into that. Just, just that genuine caring face that, that we can all make that goes into it. Other things that go in the external you category are greetings, right? How are you greeting your kids? Are you doing a, a standard hey? Or are you really kind of individualizing it or changing it up? With that, I always love, I use what's called an ace in conversation. So be an ace in the conversation, which means A stands for acknowledge, C stands for compliment, and E stands for eye contact. So when you are interacting with your student, Again, we're looking for behavior change. We're looking for being an ace. We're looking for acknowledging the student by name, giving them a compliment, and then sustaining eye contact, and then addressing what it is about them that you want change or that you're concerned about or that you want to bring to their attention, what feedback you're giving. So often, though, we start with that feedback, which often gets perceived as negative, and then the kid tunes us out. So instead, I've started the conversation and I do this with everybody. My goal is to do this with everybody every time. This is not just when I'm providing feedback or not. I try and do this even with my girlfriends when I, you know, well, now when I'm hopping on a call or I hop on a phone or if I go grab coffee with somebody once all of this is over, I try and do that too, you know? Hey, Lori, how's it going? Oh my gosh, is that a new purse? I absolutely love it. Tell me, where'd you get it? You know, that just helps ease into the conversation as opposed to jumping right in with maybe what it is that you're there to talk about. All right, so back to greetings though. One other thing I wanna mention is I call it the power of three. So if you are elementary school, you're, what I would use is the first three minutes of the day and the last three minutes of the day. If you are middle or high school where you have students coming in every period, you might, you might chunk it down a little bit to maybe the first one to two minutes, last one to two minutes. But ultimately it's that. Again, something I can change, external you, it's something I'm in full control of is how I use those minutes. Am I using those first three minutes you know, kind of giving orders, making sure kids have their notebooks, making them do their lunch count, reminding them what to do? Or am I using it standing at the door, walking around the classroom, asking kids, how was your night? What's going on? Tell me one thing you're excited about. You know, oh, how was your game last night? 
right? It's such a different feel. It's how we connect and, and behavior change ultimately has to start with trust and start trust comes from connection. So the other thing then with the end of the day, right? Are you, are the last few minutes rushed to get the kids out the door? You're reminding them of the homework. You're reminding them to clean up the room. You're reminding them of all these things. Or have you finished instruction? Have you gotten cleaned up? And then you can spend those last two minutes reflecting on celebrations from the day. So every kid is leaving your class with something positive on their mind. That is going to really get you leaps and bounds to this behavior change. And it's going to help you connect with those students that are they're more hard to connect with. Um, another thing that focuses on external you is where you show up, right? Relationships strengthen when we spend time with students when we don't have to. So are you, are you frequently, you know, in the lunchroom? Are you walking through just saying hi? Are you seeing what kids are having? What, you know, where are you showing up? Are you out at recess? recess. And if you're at recess, take it a step, bring the ball out and start the game with the kid, interact with them, join in their game. Don't just stand back and watch. You know, another thing, are you showing up at the games after school? Are you seeing where they're at on the weekends and showing up? Those are things that we can do that sure, they might take a little bit of time, but they're an easy thing to do. They're something quick and simple. Guys, even things as how we dress, right? Do you get into costume? Do you dress so that kids can connect with you? Do you, you know, do things that you're going to have that relatability? You know, I think for early primary, you know, I love the teachers that, that get into costume or wear the fun things because it just makes something that the kids, their eyes light up. I was in a high school global class a few months ago and the teacher was doing women's rights and women's right to vote. And she had, you know, a sash across women's right to vote. She had the sign. She got into character. And I, I, I better believe I, I'm bound to believe that the kids in her class really walked away like, wow, she's really passionate about this. It was hard not to pay attention to that lesson. The last thing I want to mention in external you is the language we use, right? That's something that I have control over. It's an easy fix. Are you telling your kids, you know, we have to do this. We need to do this. We should do this. Or are you telling your class, guys, we get to learn about this. We're going to choose to learn about this. We love to learn about this, right? I use those, those analogies really, really often in life in general, but they're so evident in the classroom too. If you're doing things because you have to, need to, or should, we're not, it's not meeting the, <laughs> we're not getting anything from there. When we get to, when we choose to, and when we love to, it's coming from a place of connection, of passion and purpose. All right, so that is the first step on the ladder. So what's next? Well, the next step that I believe is the quickest and easiest to change, foundation to change, is the environment. So taking a look around your classroom, how is your classroom set up? Is it set up from the student perspective, right? When I was in the classroom, I used to, I taught, I taught five-year-olds. I taught kindergarten through second grade. And so when I set up my classroom, I literally got on my knees <laughs> and I walked around. I brought in one of those like gardening pads, you know, that you use in the garden. And I walked around my classroom on my knees to make sure that everything I was seeing, I was seeing from a student perspective. So if we're teaching younger kids, so often we forget that they're half our size, sometimes even smaller. If you're a tall person, I'm only 5'2", so on my knees was, was good enough. Um, but again, right, when you, I got in their chairs and was anything blocked? How did things look? Was there good flow from this corner to that corner? You know, this student that I know gets easily distracted, do I have him facing the window or the door? Or am I better off to have him facing something else where there's not as much distraction? So that classroom setup can be really quick, you know, and quick to change. 
I just encourage you to do it at the level of your student. And once you are, once you're in it, once you're there, ask your student, guys, what works for you in the classroom and what doesn't? And, and make a chart, have them have their voice, right? Voice and a choice are two of the biggest things that we can give students to help give them that autonomy in the classroom, which is so, so, so crucial. You know, the, another thing is the visuals on the walls. What do the visuals on your walls say about your classroom? You know, I really do as much as, you know, branding and missions and, and all that usually goes with marketing and business. I believe it's just as much in your classroom. I, I love walking into classrooms and I'm like, man, this teacher's got it. It's just cohesive. You, It feels like a family. It feels like a community. And part of that is what's on the walls. Is it functional? Does it fit? You know, I always say if you're just putting stuff up on the walls to put stuff up on the walls, then what's the purpose? It's probably not being used. Used. Instead, make sure what is on the wall is being used and that your kids know how to use it. Um, another thing that goes into environment is your instruction style, right? Are you doing solely direct instruction or do you have small group breakouts? Do you know, are you ever sitting in the audience and having a kid teach the lesson or a kid lead the group? Are, how is your instruction going in your classroom? And because again, that's a foundational piece to behavior change. If kids aren't engaged, if kids aren't stimulated, they're going to find something to get to, to stimulate them, their brains, right? So if my activity, if my lesson isn't engaging, isn't interesting, or more interesting than what they're interested in, they're going to tune me out. They're going to, they're going to quote unquote refuse, right? The word that is really out there nowadays. Um, but essentially it's not that they're fully on refusing, they're refusing my lesson so they can engage in something else. Well, if my lesson is engaging, it's going to, it's going to capture their interest, capture their attention a whole lot more than whatever it was that they were distracted by initially. Another thing you can look at in your schedule or in your environment is your schedule. Now, I know we don't always have full control over our schedule, but if you do, is there something you can tweak? Figure out, is there a time of day? Look for patterns. Is there a time of day that's really not working? One of the, one of the ones I see most often is returning from lunch. So, so often our kids will have lunch and then they will have recess right after. And then they, you know, it's like, boom, right into another academic. Well, I don't know about you, but if I just go and run for 20 minutes, which is what, so if I eat lunch, <laughs> back up a little bit, I eat a lunch, I'm full, I'm ready to go. Then I go have recess for 20 minutes where I'm running around, getting sweaty, you know, getting off all this energy. But then within three minutes from walking inside, I have a math notebook on my desk and I'm supposed to be working. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I could do that. You know, I, I like to, I always think about things from a kid perspective. I put it, I put myself in their shoes, literally, right? I think, okay, so if I just ate lunch and I went and ran and, and just ran for 20 minutes and then I came back inside and immediately sat down and had to write an IEP, it, would that happen? Probably not. I'd give myself a little bit of time to cool down. I'd have some water. I might walk around, make sure my heartbeat's getting down. You know, so, but again, I don't know that we always maybe think we have the ability to do that. But again, you know your kids. This is where knowledge of student is so essential. And so I just encourage you to really take a look at that. I'm not saying, you know, drop math for 30 minutes. I'm just saying maybe three minutes isn't enough. Maybe they need five or six or seven. And it doesn't, again, that's not saying we're just going to go back to our seats and, and twiddle our thumbs, but maybe we don't dive right into practice set one. Maybe we do a brain teaser. Maybe we do something that's more passive that they can just sit and listen or engage with. Maybe that's a time to share about passion projects. Maybe that's a time for a community building activity. 
right? We're not going to, we're not going to not do anything because that's, that's boring, <laughs> but maybe we can wait a few minutes before we dive right into some more academics. The last thing for or for environment kind of goes with the visuals on the wall, but just what visuals and tools do you have available, right? A lot of our kids will do behaviors because they don't know how to do the academics. And, and to, you know, quote somebody, I'm sure that has said this before, you know, to me, a lot of kids would rather be, be dumb than, or would rather be bad than dumb. So, you know, would rather be bad, naughty, whatever, than to have their peers think that they aren't smart, that they don't know the answer. Audience is so key. Audience always plays a role. And so, you know, most kids that I know aren't going to sit there and admit, and admit that this is hard for them, that they don't know how to read, that they don't know how to, you know, do, do the math. So instead they'll rip up the paper and, and they'll look cool cool in quotes, right? Um, because they, that's, that's easier for them. That's going to still have a reputation and, and that's what they're going to go with. So what visuals, what tools do you have available to really help those kids access the education, access the academics uh, in your classroom? All right. The third one, this is to me the biggest, the biggest step. So let's take, let's take a deep breath here. Let's get ready for it. Um, so we had external you. Now we have the environment. Now the third step on the ladder is internal you. And what do I mean by that? I mean, our mindset and our beliefs. I mean, you know, what do we truly believe? What do we believe about education? What do we believe about kids? What do we believe about behavior? And yeah, this gets really deep, really quick. So um, my goal here for today's episode is to keep it pretty light because that's, you know, that's how we want to, that's what we want to roll here. But really, this is where your transformation is going to happen. And if you haven't noticed yet, I will point it out. We're on the third step of four steps here about behavior change for students. And we have yet to talk about the student. So, you know, when we hear behavior change starts with you, it's, it's so evident because we can't, I can't change anybody else. I can't change anybody else. I can, I can change myself. I can change the environment. I can change antecedents, you know, what happens before, but I cannot change what somebody does in, in response to something I do. And it's the same with kids. So yes, we're on the third step. You didn't miss anything. Um, and yes, I have not talked about the student yet. <laughs> so what else goes into internal you? Well, it's things like increasing your own knowledge about trauma, about your own biases towards education, about behavior in general, right? I, I've had a lot of people change their beliefs on behavior that, you know, behavior is communication. It is solving a problem. And that's not something that everybody believes the first time they hear it. Things like just your beliefs about instruction, your beliefs about curriculum, um, again, ongoing personal and professional development, right? What do you believe about just expansion of possibilities, right? There are so many new, innovative you know, authentic programs coming to, coming forward this day and age in education. And are you open to them or are you more closed off? Do you have more of that growth mindset or more of a fixed mindset? Things like the grid method or standards-based grading or project time, uh, passion project, 20% time, right? Even something such as a mindset of like, why am I doing this? So an example I can share with this is, is related to data. So it's something that in my job as behavior specialist, I work a lot with data It's part of my role. And I think if you're looking at data as, why am I collecting this? It's just another thing to do. It's going to take so much time. You know, that's not going to lead to, you know, behavior change that we're looking for. But what if instead we look at collecting data is because that's my vehicle to make data informed decisions. 
that's my that's my vehicle to making decisions that are going to be effective for this student so I can see progress in this student. Isn't that what we're looking for? Right. It's things even like an FBA. I, I often train on that an FBA is the starting point to your race. It is not the finish line. Finding the function to a behavior is the starting point, because once I have the starting point, now I can start implementing function based strategies. And, you know, and I, I worked with a lot of teams that we finished the FBA and they're like, yes, we're done. And I'm like, oh, no, we are just beginning. <laughs> Buckle up. Let's go, because now we know the function. Now we have a plan. Now we can put a plan into place. We can implement those strategies that are specific to that function. And that is where we can start to see some foundational, you know, behavior change happening. Uh, Jimmy Casas talks about this in his book um, and uh, that really, you know, transformations starts with beliefs not in the room. You know, the belief that I can be the change, that instead of I have to, I need to, I should. We talked about this earlier. It's I get to, I choose to, I love to. So I think it's just so important that we you know, that we remember those things. And I said, you know, ladder three, step three, internal you is really the big one. And we have to really get in touch with what beliefs do I have? What stories do I tell myself about education? You know, is it that the student is choosing to act this way? Maybe they absolutely might be, but are you willing to take it one step further and say, why might they be choosing to do it? And then what can I change about it? If they're choosing to do it, it's for a reason. All behavior is purposeful. But again, if you have a mindset of it's not my problem, it's their problem, well, then we aren't probably going to be able to see eye to eye and have this behavior change we're all looking to have. So, you know, the quickest and easiest things to change, external you. That's why that's why that was number one on the ladder, right? I can put a smile on my face. I can be an ace in conversation. I can, you know, really watch my greetings and, and use that time effectively. Then the environment, sure, I can change some things in my classroom. I can, I can check my schedule. I can maybe look at my instruction. Then we get to that internal you. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some deliberate work, some action to really look and see what mindset do I have about education these days, which gets us to the last step. And so I mentioned the first three steps have really nothing to do with the student. Step four does, but it still isn't about the student specifically um, and what they can do. It's about teaching the student. So when we look at foundational steps to behavior change, the fourth step on our ladder is teaching the student. What are we teaching? We're teaching replacement behaviors and we're teaching contingencies to their behavior. So replacement behaviors being we have to replace one behavior with another. So again, all behavior is purposeful. All behavior is solving a problem that the student has. So, but right now the trouble is they're solving it in a way that's unexpected for the situation. It's unexpected for the scenario. It's unexpected for what's going on. And as adults, right, we, we teach, we want to teach. And so we're gonna teach a different behavior that's easier, that's more efficient, that's more predictable to have that same need met, to have that same problem solved in a more expected way. The other thing we're doing is teaching contingencies. So I love using a contingency map for this, but ultimately saying when this happens and you do this, this is one of the natural outcomes, the natural consequences that's gonna happen. And then if you do this, 
This can also happen, and this is the unexpected natural consequence that is going to happen. I don't think we're doing kids service when we only, you know, when we kind of cushion it in. So they're only, they're never learning, right? They're never making a mistake. They're never doing something so that they have to learn. Now, of course, I'm not going to just send a kid out there and say, you know, and hope for the best. That's not, that's not going to help anybody. Hope's not a strategy, right? Hope really is hearing other people's experiences and learning and growing from them with them along side them. Um, but it is something that when I'm teaching, I think we got to show both sides of the, both sides of the equation, right? If I don't go to work, you know, one time, sure, I'm, I'm not going to lose my paycheck. But if I repeatedly not show up at work, I'm not going to have a job, which means I'm not going to have a paycheck. So I'm going to map both of those things out. Maybe I'm working with a high school student that hasn't shown up for their job in two days. I'm not going to, you know, sure, I'm going to put a lot of my effort on getting them to the, to the job or finding out what's blocking them and helping them get there. But I also think it's important that we map out both sides so they can make the best decision, right? They can make the best grounded decision. So they have autonomy, they're sharing their voice and their choice, and they're owning the decisions that they make. Because as soon as they walk across stage at graduation, as soon as they graduate into the world outside of what I consider, you know, the bubble of K-12 schooling, it, it's, it's them, right? And especially it's them if we've got kids that maybe don't have tons of parent support or they don't have older siblings or they don't have that coach or mentor and, they, and maybe they aren't going into college where they might be able to find those, who's going to be there to hold their hand? It, it's going to be tough. They've got to be there to hold their hand. They've got to be the one, meaning the student has to be the one to see the significance. And that doesn't happen when we just solve the kids' problems for them. We've got to solve them with them, right? We're doing it with them alongside them because we're always teaching and coaching. I think one of the biggest shifts that I've made as an educator, as a coach, as a behavior coach, as a just, just as someone that coaches this and teaches behavior change is that I, you know, I use the analogy of shining the light. So I think all of us create our paths, right? We all create the path that, that we're on, you know, every decision I make. And I think what's really important is when I'm working with students, I don't make the decisions for them, but I'm shining the light on all the decisions open to them on all the pathways that they have available to them. And I'm letting them know the pros and cons. I'm letting them know. I'm showing them. I'm letting them kind of taste test, if you will, shadow, go interview someone from there. This is what this looks like. And here's what looks like over that. I'm not shining the light on one path only and saying, this is your path. I'm shining the light on them all. And I'm saying, I'm here to help you find what's right for you, but that's going to, you got to put some effort into there. You got to, you have to do that. And so, and that's ultimately why none of these four ladder steps really have anything to do with the student themselves. It has everything to do with us as the educator. And so, you know, again, back to what I said before, foundational steps to behavior change starts with us. And it, and it starts and almost ends with us because all that I can change is and all that I can control, we've heard this before, is our own effort and our own attitude. And by doing that, by showing up as I am, who I am, by defining myself, by who I am inside, I'm able to connect with myself and then I can connect out. I can connect with my students. I can connect with my staff. I can connect with my families. And then we have that level of trust. And once we have trust, Man, watch out because because possibilities are endless.
All right, you guys, thank you so much for uh, listening along today. I really enjoy topics like this. I love talking behavior. Um, and I so hope you found this helpful. Um, let me know if you loved the episode as much as I loved recording it for you. Uh, please go ahead and subscribe. Please leave a review and share it out. I would love to uh, connect with you on social media. If I haven't already, you can find me over on Instagram at at lindsay.titus828 or over on Facebook. You can search Lindsay Titus and you'll find me there. If you haven't joined the Facebook group to find university yet, come on, come on over, come join us. It's a great time. Um, and, uh, something I am so excited to announce, actually, I'm so surprised I didn't do this at the beginning, um, is I have created a new monthly membership. So a creative connections is launched. It launched in May. It was it's so amazing. I'm so excited. Uh, it's my new passion project. So if you're interested in more info for that, check the show notes or uh, go uh, find me and uh, DM me on Instagram and I'll share all the details with you. So until next time, you guys have an amazing week ahead. And uh, as always, we'll talk soon.